As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. I'm in growth because I want my business to stay in business and be successful, right? So I have to find it, you know, ways of, of letting people know that we exist. The fact that we're talking here today, this is part of my growth strategy. That is Ryan O'Donnell, the founder and CEO of CellHack, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to dive into what it's like to grow from a one-person growth team. What do you focus on? What do you do? How do you create growth when you only have two hands and anywhere between eight and 16 hours a day? Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Growth, not a thing that was talked about in school, but basically... 
anything related to online marketing was not, you know, really taught about in, until, you know, probably 10, 10 years later. So, you know, that that first role at apartments.com was an introduction to this entirely new world than, you know, what I had been taught. And uh, it made a lot more sense than what I had been taught. Uh, so, you know, and then online marketing, basically, as as it matured, it started to blend more into product and engineering and becoming, you know, this this kind of new realm called growth. Welcome to the fifth and final episode of our growth series today. If you haven't listened to the first four episodes, go back and check them out. It's not required for this episode, so you don't have to stop, but they are well worth the listen. So today we're going to dive into what it's like when you are the only person on the growth team. Maybe you're the CEO, maybe you're the first hire. We're going to look at what do you concentrate on when you're the only one. So we have some great content here from Ryan O'Donnell of Cell Hack, who you heard at the beginning of the show, Casey Winters, who led growth at Pinterest and Grubhub, and then Dmitry Dragolev, and what each of them did when they were just one person to create growth. Now, when you're one person, the most important thing to recognize is that you only have so much time. Time is your most precious resource. And so the more informed of a decision that you can make in the beginning, the more effective you can use that time. So here's Casey Winters. I first tried to figure out what things would really help the company grow faster that I knew how to do, and then how I could design tests to prove or disprove that they were worth our time. So I built a plan you know, presented it to the board, and then just got to work on seeing what of it was going to work. A big part of it, though, was really understanding the data of the business. So, you know, you first have to work on building a report that gives you a full view of what's going on today and what really needs work. At Grubhub, a lot of that data was hidden in our database. So actually, the first thing I did was learn SQL so that I could start pulling that data myself to really understand what was happening. And Dimitri had a very similar experience at Pilar, where he was the only marketer before they were acquired by Google in 2014. I, I was moving so fast and trying to figure out what will work. I literally was not like throwing stuff at the wall, but... I was just so desperate to get results that I would really go after every single thing that I thought remotely would might work possibly. So like I would look at everything that people generally do with big budgets and we didn't have a big budget at all. We we were like really lean and um, this was before we even closed. I think for a while we just lived off credit cards and then we like closed some money and then we could pay ourselves a little bit, but it was still not like you weren't earning much. You can barely survive on it. Now, a lot of people find themselves in Dimitri's position. You know you want to grow, but you don't know quite yet which channels will work. Dimitri said he tried everything. And a lot of people, and I can relate, you try the channels that you actually know and have a comfort level with. Of course, if you don't push yourself and try things that you might not necessarily be comfortable with right away, you might never really find the right channels that will help you grow. You'll just be relying on the channels you're comfortable with. 
Now, if you're curious about how to find some of those growth channels, go back to episode four, where we talk to Gabriel Weinberg and break down his simple process for finding your growth channel based on his book, Traction. So what did these marketers do in the early days to try to find growth? Here's Ryan O'Donnell. We had an application that we were considering bringing to market that was positioned towards selling to, to new moms, right? Um, in the photo and video sharing sort of thing. So what we did is we went to Amazon Turk, right? Um, we put a posting on Amazon Turk. We actually, it said you had to be a, a new mom. Um, you, you, you know, you had to have some kids and we would pay you like, you know, $5 to spend 15 minutes on a phone call with us, right? Where we would ask you questions. And, you know, every day I would have, you know, three to five, 15 to 30 minute customer development calls with people. And then after that, I would say, hey, go to this landing page, if you're, go to this website if you're interested and, and you know, sign up. Yeah. So the way I structured everything was that, I'd have one month to try something out. And then during that month, I'd compare the returns on it to all the other things that we were doing, right? So you, you put out some test on paid search, you put out some tests on email, you put out some tests on, you know, trying to get Yelp to add an online ordering link, you know, uh, to Grubhub on, on their page. And, you know, after that month, you just take a step back and you look at where the returns were, you know, and, in some cases, you can directly compare like, you know, the CPA or the ROI, but in some cases, you can just look at the traction you've had. It was very clear from doing that sort of work that affiliate marketing was just driving a very low conversion rate because of the geographic coverage issue. This was something that worked incredibly effectively for me at HomeFinder, which had national scale, but just wasn't going to work for Grubhub in, until we covered more of the country. And, and we had a similar issue on, on the biz dev side, trying to go after those bigger partnerships. It's just hard for, you know, Yelp or city search to care about you when you only cover, you know, a couple of the thousand different markets that they care about. It's just never going to be high enough ROI for them. So, you know, once you get rejected, you know, 12, 15 times on the biz dev side, you're like, okay, I think I'm hearing a theme here. Uh, maybe I should put down the phone and, and start working on something else. We would basically try and see the most efficient way, just try and figure out how can you test something at a minuscule level to see if it works. So instead of, like I was going after LinkedIn groups and I was trying to figure out, can I do a blast of this LinkedIn group and have them engage with this, with this polling platform? And the minimum entrance into it was like 10 grand. And I was like trying to ask the guy, can we do can you share an update with this link and let's just see if it, if like 10 people see it, if one of them clicks over or something that would give me some kind of indication whether I could convert it. And I would literally, I guess, try and figure out a fast way, an efficient way to go through it without hiring more people. And like we had a couple of VAs. I remember I hired for three bucks an hour and, um, I'm just that's usually that's the way I operate anyway these days too I, I in terms of like headcount I'm trying to keep that as low as possible with everything now I'm noticing a theme here Ryan Casey Dimitri they all talked about experimentation 
In the beginning, they were experimenting. These are people that are regarded as some of the best growth hackers around, but they didn't know what worked in the beginning. They tried things, they measured, then they focused on what was working. Now, it's simple, but the good news is experimenting is something that all of us have the ability to do. So we'll be right back to talk about setting metrics and the type of activities that growth marketers are doing in their day-to-day right after a quick word from our sponsor. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So before we get to metrics, let's talk a bit about prioritizing these experiments. Here's Ryan O'Donnell. So we'll have a talk and we'll say, okay, this is, this is you know, high probability of success, right? High, high probability of revenue, right? And high revenue opportunity and low level of effort, meaning it's not that difficult to do, priority one. Right. Yeah. And you pretty much just kind of, you know, you go through your list and, and start to, you know, just assign, you know, numeric values to things. Once you start to, you know, pivot and 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 manipulate your Excel spreadsheet, you've got your itemized list of, you know, things that, you know, your next experiments. So let's talk about metrics because you can't improve and you can't grow what you can't measure. Here's what Casey Winters set up as his key metrics to track at Grubhub when he was the only marketer. We paid a lot of attention to various different metrics. So some of the ones that were in my key dashboard uh, was news or growth by by month and by source. So, you know, were they coming from organic search or from transit ads or whatever? Uh, Cost per acquisition was really important for us. We didn't have a lot of money in the bank. We raised, you know, what's now considered a very small Series A in one million. Uh, And our goal was to make that money back in six months. So really being able to look at, okay, how much were you spending for each user by channel? And then how much did the users from that channel make you over the first six months to make sure that that equation was profitable for us? Uh, In terms of retention, Um, We really paid a lot of attention to the one-month repeat purchase rate. So if someone placed a second order within 30 days of their first, that was a pretty good indicator that they were going to adopt Grubhub as a habit. But we did look at, you know, general repeat order volume through our cohorts. We looked at net promoter score, and we would segment all of that data by city to really have an understanding, you know, for each market, how we were doing. And how do you find those key metrics? I think for each business, it may be slightly different, but the key thing is how much does it cost to acquire a customer? And depending on what your revenue model is, be it venture-backed or if you're bootstrapping and you need revenue day one, it's either the lifetime value of your customer compared to the cost per acquisition or how do I move the needle on that key metric that allows me to raise more money? Here's Casey again. In a marketplace like Grubhub, it's easier to figure out what those core metrics are than you know something that at the time didn't have a business model when I joined like Pinterest, right? 
So you know you're trying to drive transactions uh, at, at Grubhub, and what you're basically trying to figure out is what's the most efficient way to drive long-term transactions, and that means you know getting more orders from the people that have already tried it, as well as bringing on new users. So it, it, very quickly, it was clear that we had to separate those into you know two different sets of metrics, figuring out you know what all of those key metrics were was definitely an evolution over time. You know, I didn't start day one with that level of visibility into everything, but, um, you know, definitely kind of like the CPA LTV equation, you know, that's something that, you know, uh, was pretty standard from the beginning and, um, you know, figuring out where your traffic was coming from and, and how that was ultimately converting, you know, that kind of from day one were things that we started with. Paul Graham has written extensively about this 5% week over week metric that he uses to measure whether a company in Y Combinator is growing fast enough, fast enough for venture capital backing. And so the 5% is a great place to start, but quickly with compounding growth, this becomes unmanageable. So here's Andrew Chen on how he looks at the metrics of a high growth company. The 5% week over week metric is, it's a good rule of thumb, but you have to think about what it's really saying, right? It's sort of saying retention and acquisition are the same thing, for example, right? Um, Because you could get 5% week over week just by signing up more and more people. Um, And you may not be retaining them at all. you know, I think that's an interesting problem. I think another problem is, um, you know, uh, when you when you think of it that way, as you're saying, you quickly reach, uh, you know, sort of very high scale, you know, kind of problems, and you start hitting saturation and so on, where that's not like realistic. Um, so, so, so I would say a couple things, you know, around like how to evaluate the long term health of a product. I think, you know, first and foremost, you have to look at on a cohort basis, um, if you draw this like churn curve, so you know day day zero, I mean, well, you know, day zero is the day that you know someone downloads your app, and on that day, um, obviously they're active that day. Day day one, then you know the next day, then usually there's a huge huge drop off because people just they just don't don't want to use it, and then day two, day three, day four, you know, it starts to like settle in and sort of asymptotically like levels out. And so I think there's there's two really interesting things here. So one is that does it ever level out? Is a great question, right? Um, and that's and and when it does level out, well, your DAUs divided by the cohort is that a big enough percentage to make this like an interesting company, right? So this is more like on the consumer side of things, because if you imagine that um, obviously if it never settles in, like the the, the churn rate just keeps going down and down and down and then eventually you lose everybody. So obviously that's that's no good. The second part though is if it settles down but then you're talking about 0.5% of the people who sign up are still around, then you know it's gonna be hard for this to be a big business because even if you in a world where you can, you know, acquire ten thousand new users a day, right? Like pretty 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 solid numbers then very quickly you'll figure out that like you're not keeping enough of them around. So so I think I think one thing is, you know, hey, can you like, you know, especially if you're a consumer business, can you keep your DAUs over, you know, reg in the high single digits, 10%, you know, kind of number. That would be pretty amazing. You know, the world class products like WhatsApp and Facebook, you know, they're 
D-A-U-M-A-U is, um, you know, 50, 60, 65 percent, which is amazing. And then their MAU over registered is like, you know, 25 to 50 percent. So you can get a sense for, you know, that you need you need like very big numbers. But if you can hit that, then you can start to see something super interesting. Uh, then you can build a world class company. So I think that's one part. Then the second part is on the acquisition side, can you scale your acquisition in a way that is actually sustainable, right? So for example, if you're growing 5% week over week, but you know, you're know you doing that because you're, for example, um, opening up, uh, you know, uh, let's say you're, it's because you're, you're spamming, you know, Reddit a lot, right? So in the early days, that'll work, great. But you'll quickly like, um, you know, stop sustaining. And then the question is like, can you figure out the next channel? And it turns out that that is a really, really hard problem. And that's why a lot of small products stay small is because they can figure out how to get, you know, a couple hundred customers, you know, per week, but they're not able to, you know, kind of go above and beyond that, regardless of how great the early, the early days look like. So Andrew threw out a couple acronyms there. DAU is daily active users. Reg is registration. So the number of users that registered in that time period. And MAU is monthly active users. So you're trying to keep the percentage of people that are registering for your product and then actually using it as high as you can. So let's take a quick look at what they were doing day to day. Because it's often interesting to see what they prioritized when they were early on, when they were the only person on the growth team versus today, when they're a member of a much larger team and are probably more laser focused on one area of growth. I would start my day by building that daily report on you know revenue and traffic trends by city, just to get an understanding of, you know, were there any things going in a different direction than expected that I needed to look into. So uh, Pinterest was very much the same way, except a lot of that stuff was automated because it was, you know, bigger scale, right? So you basically got an email that said, hey, this number's off, go check it out. Instead of, you know, having to build all this stuff manually like I was doing at Grubhub. Uh, you know, the Grubhub days, I would then spend, uh, I'd usually spend time in the morning on uh, SEM, looking at keyword and ad optimizations I could be making and because that was a, a, a primary channel for us. And then the, the afternoon would uh, depend on the day. So I would usually do a deep dive in a particular area that I was working on. For example, Tuesdays might be scheduling biz dev calls to try to get online ordering links on other restaurant websites. Wednesday might be creating new neighborhood landing pages to ex- based on our expanding restaurant coverage for you know, paid search and SEO, or Thursday, it might be building the weekly email of new restaurants by city that I would send to all of our, our users. Um, the The menu of growth tactics back then was, you know, not not super large, right? So we we're, were working on paid search and organic search. We we're working on improving conversion, working on email marketing, transit and outdoor advertising, and then some affiliate marketing and biz dev, and then. You know, ended up kind of moving away from affiliate marketing and biz dev because it was just harder to get those deals done when you didn't cover much of the country, which at the time at Grubhub, we didn't, we only covered a few cities. I always go 
to people who already have my customers and try and figure out how can I provide value to them as a add-on or something like that. So before AppSumo, when we first launched, I had no customers at all. Now, the very first thing that I did before I even built this thing, I walked around meetups and I would have the idea of this app sketched out on my piece of paper. And literally, I would sketch out what it would look like. I had three screens sketched out, search field, results, contact page. And I would explain it to them. I'd be like, hey, I'm building this thing. Here's what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Do you have like a few minutes? I just, I want to show you. And people would like look at stuff, you know, um, if you would, you know, sound okay. And like if it wasn't too awkward, you know, like if, if they're actually interested in the idea, like if they're interested in pitching press and that's something that their PR is something they're struggling with, sure, they'll look at what you're building basically, right? But I didn't build anything. I didn't have anything. I just had three pieces of paper and I would show it to them and they'd be like, that's useful. Yeah, that's cool. This is what I would do though. That's how I would use it actually, you know, like, and so they would give me feedback and that was a really powerful thing. Feedback from people because that, then you can go back to them and say, Hey, I actually resketched this, this thing here with, how does this look? And so that person will become your first customer when you come, come, come time to launch. And, and so you're building actually based on their feedback. And then once you've built the whole thing, you can go back to them and say, here it is, it's built. I've been gathering feedback from you through the entire process. What do you think of it? And that, that becomes really powerful. And so I wanted to leave you today with a little food for thought from Ryan O'Donnell on how he approaches growth and sales and marketing in the early stages of a company. I will take a sales call any day over a growth experiment, right? Um, I will take a meaningful conversation with a customer any day over a growth experiment, right? And then you get like the customer support stuff coming in and then the the internal product conversation, you know, staying on top of growth and all of the things that you need to manage or or that, you know, um, you know, our, our modern day growth profits talk about um, it's just for, for one or two or, you know, for one or two person company or for a small company with one person focused on this, it's really hard to do. Right. Right. So, so you get this and that's why I call it in my document. It's called the experiment backlog, right? Because, it, because it is a, it is a backlog of, of things that I want to do that we just haven't, we haven't gotten around to yet. And keep in mind, while Ryan, Dimitri, Casey, even Andrew, they're all known as prolific growth hackers today, there was a time where they were the only person in their one-person growth hacking department. They had to start from somewhere. So if you find yourself in that position today, taking some of the advice and cues that these folks are sharing now, it might help you trek down a similar path. And so I think the real lesson here is with 19 different growth channels, it is going to look different for everyone. For Ryan, it may be that customer development and that sales. For Casey Winters, it's probably going to be a growth experiment, a little bit of SEO, SEM mixed together. And it really depends on your business too, because not every growth channel is going to work for every business as we've heard. Even when someone is really good at executing on a particular growth channel, that's not always the right growth channel for a young business. 
So this is all for us to figure out. It's all a very individual journey, but hopefully we've given you some tools here where you can go out and start to find those growth channels that will work for you at this point in your business right now, whether you're starting out or whether you're farther along. It is never too late to start focusing on a growth channel, optimizing it through data and making it work for you. So coming up, we are going to have a five-part series on productivity. We have some fantastic interviews that we've already lined up. All sorts of productivity, from team productivity to personal productivity, standing desks, and everything in between. So I think you're really going to enjoy it, and there's a lot of really actionable information in here. So that will be coming up in the next two weeks. We'll start releasing the episodes for that, so stay tuned. Subscribe if you haven't. Of course, a huge thank you to our sponsor today, Prezi Business. Go to prezi.com forward slash rocket ship and get your slide. Decks Prezified today. They're beautiful. I've used them myself. So this is a whole new type of slide deck presentation. It's interactive and it changes with the flow of the conversation. So I highly recommend it. That's prezi.com forward slash rocket ship. So if you'd like to follow along, follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You can follow me at Michael Saka, Joel at Joel Goldman, and Mike Belcito at Belcito. So we'll see you here in just a couple weeks.